day and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Bless you. As I begin, I want to share with you some stories of good people and good things they did, and uh, it will key into the message later, but first I'll tell you what I saw. Uh, a few days ago, I was in Bowen. Uh, Bowen is in the Whitson days. Uh, it's got Beaches that people don't know about as tourists, they all flock to Airlie Beach or elsewhere in the Whitson days when they go there. But Rose Bay and places like that have got thriving reefs with colourful fish, uh, more than some parts of the Great Barrier Reef because so many tourists wearing suntan oil have ruined the reef. And uh, so you can go, you can spend $300 to get out to the reef and not see much, but if you did it at Rose Bay, you would see a lot. And uh, you really have to get to the outer reef to really see the beauty that still exists and the unspoiled areas of the reef. But when I was in Bowen, I was with the Bowen INC, and there was a young boy who got drunk, rode his motorbike home, hit a tree, and the exhaust pipe went through his back and was almost out the other side of his stomach. Uh, he was put in a coma. He was taken to the hospital, a medically induced coma, to save his life. Immediately, the church made contact with his folk to say, we're praying for you. We're believing for good outcomes. We will be here to support you. And that is typical of the Bowen Church, that they really have a revelation that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And this is how they do outreach. Not just going out on the street and singing or testifying, but finding out who is suffering in the community and going to offer help. And they've done it over and over and over again. The time that I was there about two years before, there was a young man who got himself into all sorts of scrapes legally and he was up before the court. It looked like he was going to have extended prison sentences. Again, the church people contacted him and his parents and they prayed him through and he got a very light sentence. It isn't that God is excusing sin, but it is that God gives, God gives pardon and mercy and kindness and we know about it, so we ought to be sharing it. Uh, the microwave died at the church. They needed a new microwave. The thing blew up while we were having dinner. And so they went to buy a new microwave. Instead of going to Airlie Beach where they could have got it at, at uh, Harvey Norman's for a lot less, they shop locally to support their local community. And their whole attitude is, how can we bless Bowen? How can we not be ingrown but an outreach. Most of you will know I come from a family where things were fairly private, the rules were very strict, and you, you only have invited guests to the house because you prepare for them. 
but you certainly don't just drop in. So I was in culture shock in Bowen, where the people are indigenous and from Vanuatu and elsewhere, where they just think they regard it with horror that anybody would ever eat alone, as I do. And uh, so I could never escape them. Every meal, there would be up to 20 people, sometimes less, and they would always want to go to McDonald's and I'd be thinking if they touch any poisonous thing, it shall not harm them. <laughs> but I loved the fellowship and I loved the love that they have. I, I loved to see a church doing what's right. And everywhere we went in the town, there's goodwill. Now, there are dangers in the goodwill. Jesus said, beware when all men shall speak well of you. But one of the reasons why they're regarded with goodwill by the police and by many, many others are because they have rolled up their sleeves and worked and helped and got involved. And they continue to do it. And when I get to my subject later about doing justice, uh, here's somebody doing it. And I was over in Kalgoorlie where we have a Nigerian pastor uh, and his life has been under threat. He's moved nine times his house and uh, some people angry at him burned his house down. They put a child in through the dog flat who uh, carried petrol in and set a light and they do that because the children can't be taken to court in the same way that adults can, but adults put them up to it. And he, he was in danger of losing his life and yet saying, I want to serve the Lord here and I want to bless the people here. And uh, I, I was happy to fly away from the place uh, because it was dangerous. But I saw how involved he was with the community. And again, we would walk around the town and be greeted by people who he'd helped a good reputation had been earned. Jesus said, let your light so shine that men will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You don't do it to shamelessly network or manipulate people, but it's great when Christians decide to be a blessing and God helps them become a blessing. And uh, up in Cairns where I live, uh, the pastor of the INC has just resigned He's tired. But I think of things that I know that he has done. There was a lady who was psychotic who killed four of her children. And the funeral had to happen and the whole town knew about it. Everybody knew about it. And this man worked quietly behind the scenes helping arrange the funeral, helping arrange things for the incoming relatives from the islands and elsewhere and stayed out of the press Others strutted in the limelight and made sure they were photographed. Others made sure that the press knew their names and did interviews and all the rest. This man stayed out of the limelight. But Kansas is a little place. The word went round. He plays football and the islanders will tackle him and say, Sorry, Pastor. <laughs> Again, somebody living right, doing what is right. And I saw God doing, uh, I was in a church, a very little church, a church that's got hardly any money. And I went to pay my rent because I'm traveling for a month. And uh, that means $1,750 for a month's rent had to come in before I come out ahead. Anyway, I went in to pay my rent. 
and people from somebody from that little fellowship said, "Oh, you know what? What are you what are you going to do?" And I said, "I've got enough money in the account to cover the rent." He said, "Well, no, I'm I'm going to." So he paid it, and I feel grateful for that. I went to uh, Perth, where um, Pastor Jeff is who goes often to Cambodia to help the street people there and do things there. Again, they've got a lot of involvement in social justice, not in political agitation, but in being good citizens of Australia and being fully involved. And I was very impressed. And uh, just, just the whole attitude of the church there. Of course there are faults in churches, but Jesus said, upon this rock... I will build my church. Never forget whose church it is and who's building it. Uh, he's not stopped building. And although there's terrible things happening in the world because we're living in the last days, God is still mightily at work through his people all over the world. And wonderful things are happening. They're genuinely wonderful things. There are three great signs that are going on in the world that will go on before Jesus goes back. And they are the restoration of Israel to the land, the restoration of the church, and this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the earth for a witness, and then the end shall come. So those three things are happening, and they have supernatural help. God is doing wonders in the land of Israel. God is doing wonders in the church worldwide. And God is helping the spread of the gospel in ways that we've never seen before. Uh, it's possible to get the gospel out in ways that we never had years ago, and everything is speeding up everywhere. There are terrible things, but there, uh, many of the terrible things are things that the Word of God tells us to expect. The wild weather, the roaring of the uh, waves of the sea, the earthquakes, the floods, pestilences, it's all prophesied, it's all happening. Everything is on schedule. And that means that the Lord is still king of the flood. Nothing to be frightened of. Uh, the end is coming. The Bible says there's an end. One of the marks of atheists and politically correct liberals who walk in ignorance and darkness is, well they do, is all things continue as at the beginning. And of course it's not true. One of the biggest errors you can ever make in your life is to think that everything will remain the same. It won't. Change is coming. Drastic changes are coming. We've only seen the beginning. There are changes on the way that are huge. And the world in just a few years' time will be totally different to how it is today. Uh, in fact, when I arrived to Noosa, God gave me a word very clearly. He said, Stop expecting the expected. Because many of the things that have been stable will be gone soon. And uh, we need to know how to ride change. We need to know that God is the changeless one and that we have a secure foundation. The wild weather that you've had here is a great illustration of Jesus saying, build your house on the rock, otherwise the storms can blow it to bits if it's got a bad foundation. And he told us exactly what it illustrates. He said the man who built his house on the rock is the one who hears the word of God and goes into activity and does something about it. 
And the one who builds his house on the sand and the storm came and beat against it and great was the fall of that house. We've seen it in Florida with um, Hurricane Michael. He said that great fall comes about because that person heard the word of God, understood the doctrine, but was inactive. And knowing the truth will not help you until you live the truth. Because you will live with a feast of consequences sooner or later. What you have sown, you will reap, unless God blesses you with a crop failure. And I have prayed for crop failures. I've sown badly on occasion, and I've had to say to the Lord, I am so sorry about that. Would you please release me from that? And I've experienced God's mercy in a huge way. Uh, It's why I can't sit in judgment on other people, because I... I probably outcrimed them and outranked them as a sinner. But what I do know is the great grace of God. And I can talk about the great grace of God upon all people everywhere. And uh, I want to read to you from the book of Amos for a moment. And then we'll go back to the scripture that I really want to concentrate on. It's in Amos 5. But it's just lovely. Here we are, Amos 5, verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. How wonderful. Ever-flowing stream means it doesn't dry up, it keeps going. And the thing that keeps going is the justice and righteousness. There are many parts of the world where there's no justice and no righteousness. In Uganda, if you are put in prison for something and your trial is pending, you can wait four years before it even goes to trial and you have to provide your own food. So even if you're acquitted, you've still lost four years of your life. And we live in the lucky third of the world. You have a bed to sleep in. Two-thirds of the world have no bed to sleep in. They don't have a bed. That is amazing. You have a choice of food. It's not that you're praying whether there'll be enough to eat. There's more than enough to eat and there are multiple choices and you're living with it. You can change your religion here without being shot or punished or put in prison. You can speak freely for the main part. I know the politically correct crowd are trying to ruin all that, but they won't win. You can speak freely. You can think freely. You can live freely. You have a roof over your head. At this point, you are living in a blessed country. Don't be first world brats complaining over trifles. I was preaching in a church lately. I told them about a pastor's wife sulking and crying at the wheel because the color of her car was blue instead of red. She thought life was unusually cruel. 
I was talking with a lady just lately whose daughter was in a fury and spitting tax because she only got 100% profit instead of 400% profit over something she sold. She couldn't sleep for thinking of the missing 300%. She'd already doubled her money. First world brat. <laughs> Let justice roll down like a river. We need to understand where much is given, much is required, and we have freely received and we can freely give. And we are privileged even if we don't feel like we're privileged, but we're blessed. We live in a blessed country. The media is free. or in many parts of the world, the media is not free. You only get propaganda. And if you dare to say the right things again, you can end up in jail. I believe in Western capitalism. I believe it works. I believe in Western ethics because it's post-Christian, but it owes its, the seeds that have had a good harvest have come from Christianity. I believe in the Western world's way of life, and I believe it should be imported everywhere. I'm not here to speak about politics, but I am speaking about justice. When I was in New Zealand... Uh, I made friends with a law student and we were looking at how the early settlers treated the Maori people. Well, an Anglican bishop in a place called Porirua met with the leader of the tribe and said, if you give us land, we'll build a school and a church. So the tribal leader gave them land, lots of land. And uh, they never built the school and they never built the church. When he took them to court, it was thrown out of court on the grounds that a savage couldn't take a civilised man to court. The problem with injustice like that, it earns a bad reputation for the gospel. Good people get tarred with the same brush. When I was in the south of Japan, the same thing had happened in Kyushu. Early missionaries had raped women and stolen land. And so the church has got to live that down. And so they have to learn there are Christians who are not like the bad Christians you've experienced. And uh, the stuff that happened in Porirua, the Anglican church uh, did payouts of millions and millions of dollars to right the wrong. They had a justice commission and they got involved and they did the right thing. I remember reading about two young boys. One boy stole the other boy's bike and rode it backwards and forwards, letting his friends see the stolen bike. And after a year... He went to his friend and said, you know, I know you've been angry with me for a year because I took your bike, but let's be reconciled. Let's be friends again. And his friend said, good, does that mean I get my bike back? He said, no, it just means we're reconciled. But that's exactly the issue with land confiscation. That's exactly the issue with marginalising people. Uh, they might forgive, praise God if they do forgive, but justice is still justice and God is a God of justice throughout all the earth. And that's challenging to the church because the church has often backed the injustice. And I believe God still challenges us saying, God, 
wants us to have righteousness and justice and fair dealings with everybody. And where it's wrong, we need to put it right. And one of the problems is that there's a grievance industry. So in New Zealand, people consult over the old issues and the lawyers get rich and the people get nothing because there's a a bitterness and an anger. The Bible says avoid bitterness because it will poison many people. You know, beware lest there be a heart of bitterness and by it many people be defiled. I don't believe that bitterness is going to establish justice. I believe the only thing that can establish justice is the rule of God when we go back to his values and what he says in the word and not what we say. And that means we all lose a bit and we all gain a bit. But that's how it works. Micah 6 8 says, he, You know, he's shown thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but you do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Walking humbly with your God is the key. If you walk humbly with your God, you won't find it hard to do just, to do what's right or to show mercy. But it's also challenging when you think if you would really do justly, it would mean that you give yourself what you need and accept God's provisions too. You'd give other people what they need and you'd give yourself what you need. God has made provisions. You might not be availing yourself of them. God has given promises. God has given his Holy Spirit. God has sent counselors, God has sent leaders, God has established the church, God has sent his only son. God's given marvelous provisions, but if you don't take hold of the marvelous provisions, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself because you're not doing justly towards yourself. And I really believe in doing justly towards yourself. I believe that you should take part of every legitimate feast you can and feast richly and thank God for it. I teach and I believe and I live this that God wants you to live a life of gratitude because of all you've received from him and that equips you to give. You have to be a big time receiver as well as a big time giver. And it's not sin to receive the good things. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28 verse 47, God gives the reason why he cursed his people. He said because they received not the good things that are offered, they did not serve the Lord with joy and gladness for the abundance of all things. And I believe God loves it when he sees you feasting, enjoying the abundance of good things. It's not selfish, it's right. Of course there's a balance. Most of you know the story of Dives and Lazarus where the rich man feasted sumptuously every day while the poor man with sores waited on the doorstep. I've seen that in different parts of the world. When I was in Russia, I saw the golden domes on top of the churches. I saw the silver chandeliers inside the churches, and it was no wonder they had a revolution because the church was not living justice. The land was full of injustice, and the people revolted, and it opened the way for a wrong solution to a right problem. And all through the world... When the church has become a political force, it's done evil. 
I don't believe revival is the church controlling the nation. I believe revival is the Holy Spirit controlling the nation. And they're very different. Because the church believes that it's allowed a sword. It believes that it's allowed to enforce Christianity to the non-consenting. And uh, when I was in Zurich, for example, they have statues to the reformers holding a sword. And I was just talking with a man yesterday about how Calvin roasted one of his opponents over Greenwood so he burned more slowly. And uh, Catholics have per- persecuted Protestants. Protestants have persecuted Catholics. When I lived in Holland, there was a town called Volendam, another one called Marken. In one place, they drove the Baptist into the sea until they drowned. And the other one... They waited till the Catholics were at Mass. They locked the doors and burned the church down and roasted them alive. It's no wonder in Holland, people who know the history say, never again, everyone must be free. And so liberalism came in and the place is famous for prostitution and drugs and laissez-faire government allowing all sorts of nonsense and... We live in a broken world full of bruised people. And I love it when I see Jesus telling us what the anointing is for in Luke 4. It's to open eyes that are blind. It's to set at liberty the oppressed. It's to preach good news to the poor. The anointing of God, he said, that's why the Spirit of God is on me. And I really believe that God is a very practical God. It's not just a bless me club. It's not just that you will feel wonderful. It is so that you'll be empowered to do something about people's need. And you'll be able to be a big help. When God helps you, it may be that he puts cash in your hand that you can hand on. It may be food. It may be that you're in power and somebody else isn't and you can use your influence to help them or free them. It may be that you're supporting a child with one of the aid agencies. It may be that you're helping a missionary to go. There, You can pray, you can pay, you can go. There's loads of ways that you can help. You can help the spread of the gospel. You can help the equipment of the church. But you can do things. And even if it's to speak a word, Isaiah 50 says... He has given me the air of a disciple that I might know how to speak a word to the one that is weary, a word of refreshment and due season to the one that is weary. Lots of people are depressed and they need an uplifting word and you could give it and God could give it to you. Often they have lived in such deep darkness for so long that that little piece of encouragement you give is a very bright light and all they can handle. If I struck a match in the middle of the day in bright sunlight in the Sudan or the Sahara or inland Australia, you wouldn't be impressed. You'd hardly see it because of the brightness of the light. But if you'd lived in a coal mine for a while in pitch darkness, or like those kids that were stranded in the cave, if you struck a light there, you could almost blind somebody's eyes because they're accustomed to darkness. And I believe that when you share your light with the lost and the broken and the hurting, you might think you're doing very little, but it might be all they can take. You don't need to preach a long, complicated sermon. You just need to believe in them and encourage them. Many people have lost belief in themselves. 
They really feel life is hopeless and worthless and they're a waste of space. And part of that has come about because of the movement of selfishness all around the world, that the whole world is about you and you're entitled and the world is ripping you off. That's a message that we're getting sold. The sort of Kim Kardashian nonsense, you know, of I will be famous and I will promote myself and everyone will admire my life. The strange thing with justice and injustice is the Bible says evil men do not understand justice, but only those who seek the Lord shall understand every good course. So there are people pontificating on justice. They're preaching about justice. They're preaching about political awareness, and they're deceived because they're lost souls unsaved without the balances of godly wisdom. It's ungodly counsel. And if you're a self-righteous Christian who has compromised and you're defending a lifestyle of going half-cocked with God, lukewarm Christian, who he wants to spew out of his mouth, the Bible says, you say the justice due you is not noticed by your God, but it is you, it is you who does not know. There are times that we howl at God for injustice and say, You are the righteous judge, but you're behaving unrighteously, and you believe you're right. When I did my big backslide in Holland, one of the reasons why is that I believe God let me down, and he'd stopped being righteous. And so I stood in judgment on him, and I was sure I was the winner. But the real problem wasn't God, it was me. Somebody asked a man of God in Britain, what's wrong with Britain? And his answer was, I am. And I went back to New Zealand after I had been through this nearly suicidal breakdown, mental breakdown, emotional breakdown, so unhappy, so broken. I was in Sweden and my friends contacted my friends. I was out walking in the snow. I was trying to be the world's loneliest man. I was writing poetry, you know, the whole deal. (laughs) My friends phoned my other friends. They said the only time he doesn't cry is when he's eating. (laughs) And I went back to New Zealand and there I talked to a man called Ken Wright. And Ken Wright said, I saw it coming. I said, well, then why didn't you help me? He said, because you couldn't be helped. You couldn't be reached. I said, what did you see? He said, you were like an archer who never relaxes the bow and keeps the bowstring so tight that the bow becomes useless. He said, you were getting wound up. You were so busy rule-keeping. You were so busy going into your religion instead of into grace. That you got to the point where you believed you could judge God and find him guilty. And he was right. That's exactly how I felt. In fact, I remember praying that and saying that. I said, look, I read a scripture, and there our fathers trusted and were not being disappointed. And I said, but I am disappointed, and even if you come right and start doing what's right, it doesn't change the fact that you abandoned me and you kicked me while I was down. I believed it. 
I heard uh, Pastor David Schaefer talking about how when his wife was diagnosed with cancer, he had to get rid of the notion that God was a wife killer. He said it was like trusting a mate who, when your back was turned, knifed you. And I understand that there are times we look at God and we think, you're not a God of justice at all. What I do know is that I can't work out God with my mind. I have to accept who he is from Scripture. And that as I read Scripture, my mind comes back into balance. There are two things that stop you having a distorted view of God. They're very simple. One is hear who God is from his word. And the other one is keep worshipping God because your mind comes right as you worship. It restores perspective. And that's what King David said. He said, when I, when I pondered the fate of the rich and the poor, I became like a stupid, unreasoning beast. In fact, Hebrew says, I became stupid as a cow. And, and he said, my soul was pierced within, that's bitterness, until I entered thy sanctuary and then I perceived their end. That when you get into the sanctuary of God, when you just spend time alone worshipping him, your brain will come right, your crazy thinking will come right, you will come right, because the Holy Spirit will be able to reveal God to you again while you're in an attitude of thanksgiving and worship. And I believe that. So the two cures are keep, keep in the word and keep in worship, and your distorted thinking will come right, and you won't be like that lady, broken-hearted because she didn't get 400% profit. And you won't be like the other one weeping because the car was the wrong color. That's distortion. That's imbalance. The Lord hates false balances. But God can restore you. So to sum up again, Micah 6.8, He has shown thee, O man, or O man, O humankind, it would be, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee. And then comes three things. Do justly. That's fair play to yourself and to others. Love mercy. Loads of people have lived without mercy. They're not even merciful to themselves. I'm merciful to myself. I've learned to forgive myself. I've learned it's as important to forgive Marcus as it is to forgive Josh. <laughs> Although I have nothing to forgive you of. But there are some people that I've struggled to forgive. But what I do know is that if I can be forgiven, they can be. And uh, there's no limit to that. But the key, again, is walk humbly with your God. If I stay in my right place and get off my throne and say, well, God is right and I'm not, others might be right and I might not see it. If you walk humbly with your God, then the other two areas unlock. Now, I mentioned to you that Jesus said, the house built on the rock is when you apply the word and go into action. So we have to finish with that. To do justly, when you see injustice, you may need to speak out. It could be a sexist or racist comment. But you have to choose your time. I visited some Islamic friends just recently down in Sydney and I took a friend to meet them and they've always been loving to me and I've been loving to them and they like me because I spend money in their shop and uh, everyone likes you when you spend money 
But my friend had his uh, spiritual leader with him. And they began to say how they hated Australia and why they hated Australia. And I'm thinking, you're biting the hand that feeds you. You came here because you've got a better life and handouts and you're being absolutely ungrateful. But I couldn't say it. Even though it was true, I couldn't say it. But I also couldn't give way to them. And I said, well, what actually happened? And he told me when I came back into the country, I swore at the customs official and she told me off and I just hate Australians for how they are. And I'm thinking, well, go home then. Uh, but he, he lives here. And, of course, it, you start with that whole thing of tarring everybody with the same brush. My friend left the shop. He just couldn't stand it. But when I could get alone and simmer down and calm down, I realised I'm not there to win an argument. I'm there to win souls. He that winneth souls is wise. And that the real issue, and not the issues my friend was raising about whether you swear or not or whether Australians are fine people or not, we're all sinners. We're all lost without Christ and the cross. And the future that God has planned for my Islamic friends is that they would know mercy from God, pardon from heaven, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Mercy's all mine and 10,000 beside. God's got the same plan for them as he's got for me and they can have it. And my job is not to rage against their religion or them, but to introduce them to the hope that I found. And... uh, It was good for me to see my anger and my self-righteousness because Romans 10, the beginning of Romans 10, just to illustrate what I've been talking about, Romans 10 says, I testify Israel has a zeal but not according to knowledge. Being ignorant of God's free righteousness, they try to establish their own. And that's exactly what happens when you lose sight from the fact that the cross washes away your sins and God gives you unlimited pardon, when you lose sight of grace, you try to establish your own rule-keeping. And then you congratulate yourself for keeping your own rules and feel God owes you something. You feel entitled and you're wrong. And that was what led to my backsliding in Amsterdam, was that I believed that God was continually disappointed and I was continually trying to please my Heavenly Father. I was continually trying to keep the rules. And then I would compare myself with other people and go, yes, I've got my faults, but they've got more. Look. One little girl said this, and I I thought it was just wonderful. She used to look at sheep in a paddock, how white they were against the green, until it snowed. And now the sheep were dirty. When you compare yourself with a prostitute, an ice addict, a liberal, (laughs) you can feel fine. (laughs) Because there's such a huge weight of evidence that you're better. But you look at Christ, it is sheer, pure holiness you see your need of forgiveness and you stop judging other people. One of my great heroes was Mother Basilia Schlink and uh, Mother ba- she was uh, head of a sisterhood and they went witnessing in a bus. People threw excrement at the bus and swore at the nurses, at, at the nuns and said some horrible things. 
And somebody said to Mother Basilea afterwards, how were you able to treat them with such pardon and mercy? And she said, when you know you're the one with the beam in your eye, you can forgive somebody for having the speck. When you've tasted the ocean of God's mercy and grace, you can give somebody else a drop. I love that. That's a good note to finish on. God bless you. Wow.